You're listening to the Skeptic's Guide to the Universe, your escape to reality. Hello and welcome to the Skeptic's Guide to the Universe. This is your host, Stephen Novella, president of the New England Skeptical Society, and today is March 21st, 2007. Joining me this evening are Bob Novella. Hey, everybody. Rebecca Watson. Hello, everyone. Perry DeAngelis. Right. Jay Novella. Hey, guys. And Evan Bernstein. Happy National Agriculture Day, everybody. Uh, Happy what? Yes. Happy National Agriculture Day. National Agriculture Day? Yep. Isn't the equinox? Agday.org. Check it out. How do people celebrate Agriculture Day? I mean, what do they eat? Oh, it's very easy. What do you do? Plant some stuff in your beard? Pray to the goddess (laughs) of the harvest. (laughs) Do they actually celebrate? That holiday? No, it's not a holiday. It's just a recognition day. Thing. Yeah, but does anyone celebrate it? I mean, is there, Rebecca, you're the resident vegetable kook. What do you do? You must be all over this. What do you got? The t-shirts and the mug, and what do you got? What? I remember, uh, you know, going going up to the Big E, which is the New England State Fair. For kind of all six states get together for one fair. There's some very militant farmers up there. Let me tell you. So, was, uh, I bet those guys celebrate it. It's also the first day of spring. Yes. Yes. Even though there's a foot of snow on the ground outside. <laughs> yeah. What are you going to do? Global global warming? Global you can cool. <laughs> celebrate the first day of spring by staying inside and balancing an egg on its end, just right. like you can do every other day of the year. I balanced but an egg on its side today. Did you? That's, oh, that's, yeah. It was perfect. How long did that take you, Evan? Oh, an hour. <laughs> I had chicken salad for lunch. Aren't the Druids, uh, the druids and the Wiccans out in the woods tonight? The little people. This, this is one of their, their yeah. holy days, yes. Yeah, that's right. I, I think they're dancing around tonight. So somebody's dancing around outside. So they're dancing around in the woods naked, balancing eggs on their head? <laughs> we should take a ride later. We know the big flashlight. Why don't you bring a bucket of wings? <laughs> Rebecca, as a vegetarian, do you, do, do you have to donate like money on, to the cause? What do you got to do? To which cause? The agriculture cause. What are you talking about? <laughs> this agriculture the ag- There's a crazy. cause. It's a, it's food that you eat. What's does wrong it, yeah, with Does you? agriculture that includes livestock? Harry right? worships cows. Yeah. <laughs> I worshipped a cow once, and I divorced her. Oh, oh bam! Good one. Thank you. Thank Ten you. points, Evan. <laughs> well, we have a few real news items this week. <laughs> hey, oh. believe me, that was news. A meta-analysis of intercessory prayer. Uh, has been published. I believe you blogged about this, Steve. Uh, yes, I did. This is published by a guy called Hodge in the journal Research on Social Work Practice. This is a this guy's name is David R. Hodge, and this is a meta-analysis of 17 studies of intercessory prayer. The meta-analysis is pretty much total garbage. The studies include both, you know, some poorly designed studies, some better studies. What he does is he mixes together the outcomes. So we're looking at both, you know, in vitro fertilization and you know coronary bypass outcome. So completely different uh, disease target diseases or situations. He also what he one thing he does is um, if a study was looking at five or six or seven outcomes, he kind of pulls it all together to give one total score for the study. So each study ends up getting a number of like how many people in the study were helped or not helped, and then he does a meta-analysis combining all of those numbers into one final number to, and, and showing that statistical significance, meaning that there was, there was uh, a statistically significant beneficial effect to being 
uh, target of intercessory prayer in all of these studies together. You know, the problem with using meta-analysis in this way is that um, you, know, you, you can't com- you know, meaningfully combine studies that were looking at different populations and different outcomes. It's completely illegitimate to combine you know, the various outcome measures into one total score. I- I've noticed, Steve, every time uh, somebody comes up with a new meta-analysis, nine times out of ten, it's crap. And, and yeah. so now whenever whenever I see the word meta-analysis, even if it supports something that I know is a fact, I vomit a little in my mouth. <laughs> well, is it impossible to do good meta-analysis? No, it's just difficult. It's difficult. I mean, you, you have yeah. to know what you're doing. Uh, the purpose of a meta-analysis is if you have a number of studies that were conducted in a similar way that are looking at the same thing, looking at the same intervention for the same disease and the same patient, basic population. And uh, maybe each study has 100 or 200 or whatever subjects in the study, and they may have shown a trend one way or the other, or they were inconsistent results. You could pool those together as if it were one study with 300 people, that, and therefore you have a, a one more powerful, statistically powerful study to say, is there a net positive or negative effect you know, for this intervention? Doing a good meta-analysis is very difficult. You have to very carefully select the studies that you're going to pull together, and you have to be very careful with your statistics. What what Hodge did is a very good example of exactly what not to do with a meta-analysis. Huh, He's combining combining studies that really should not be combined together. He is you know, basically smashing all of the different outcome measures together. He also is including some very suspect studies in his meta-analysis, those meta-analysis most notably the, the Worth-Columbia in vitro fertilization study, which has b- basically been totally discredited. The, you know, the guy uh, Worth, who's, who basically did the research, has, has, you know, has been shown to be a fraud, basically. You know, so he's basically including discredited fraudulent data in his meta-analysis. So it's clear that Hodge had a conclusion and then did the study to support his conclusion. Yes, I mean, he's written on, you know, spirituality and and, and counseling and and social work practice before. I mean, this is clearly an interest of him. He's written the book called The Spiritual Assessment, a Handbook for Helping Professionals. He seems to have a predisposition in this direction. Yes, slightly. Right, but but regardless of that, his methods are crap. I mean, that's the bottom line. This is a worthless meta-analysis. Now, if you actually read the study... Uh, which I did. He he actually says the things he, some of the things that he should say in the discussion and the conclusion. He he acknowledges a lot of the weaknesses that I'm talking about. Although he doesn't talk about the Worth study, and I think that that was an incredible oversight that he included a discredited study and which completely contaminates his data. He do, he doesn't talk enough about the weaknesses of his study, and he's he's somewhat conservative in the conclusions that you draw from it. Although he always puts that positive spin on it, even though. Uh, it was inconclusive. It always deserves more study and shows that there's something really to this. Now, of course, the press... I was going to say, it wasn't inconclusive according to the media. Right. Now, the media, they they take all of this, they totally whitewash over all the complexity, and they say, study shows prayer really works. Right. I mean, that's basically the, the headlines that you see. Right. Uh, even in the um, like the Arizona State University, where this guy's from, the, the their own press releases, Does God Answer Prayer?, 
ASU research says yes. I mean, that's their own press release. <laughs> uh-huh. that's not so- maybe, not inconclusive, <laughs> not you know the more conservative stuff that he that he sort of was obliged to put in his study. With, otherwise, he probably wouldn't have gotten it published. Really, completely reprehensible misrepresentation of the data. And getting back just to a minute on meta-analysis, Rebecca. I mean, th- there was actually a really good study published in the New England Journal of Medicine, which I linked to from my blog entry on this. And what they it was they did a very clever thing. What the researchers did is they looked at meta-analyses uh, for some specific question where in the intervening time since the meta-analysis was published, there was a large definitive trial looking at the same question. And they said, well, how many times, what percentage of time does a meta-analysis predict the outcome of a later definitive large clinical trial? And the answer was that it, that it was about two-thirds of the time it was in agreement. Hmm. One-third of the time it was not in agreement. That's not you think that bad. It's not that good either. I mean, 50-50 would be chance, right? And this was two-thirds, one-third, which means, you know, maybe it's actually only adding a little bit of information, you know, to the predictive value of just flipping a coin, right? It was better than flipping a coin, but still, that's not by much. That yeah, means it's not that great. And, and It's not that great, yeah. And I feel like it's a really good indicator when you're looking at something and it's not quite making sense. I think that's a big red flag is when it's a meta-analysis because that's a very easy way yeah. for people to pick and choose what data they want to highlight and what they want to kind of fall by the wayside yeah. and downplay. When you do a meta-analysis, you've got to be very careful about how you, you pick your studies. If you, if you, anything that biases the studies that you pick will bias your outcome. I mean, you have yeah. to really make sure that you're being very systematic and thorough and sequential, etc. But the, the other big thing here is that often clinical research goes through stages where you have some initial small studies that are basically just testing the waters. Is there anything to this? We want to make sure that people aren't going to drop dead like flies you know, when you, when you give them the intervention or that it's not going to be worse than what's already out there or that it's not utterly worthless you know, before you then start subjecting people in a larger study. And this is just basic you know, human research ethics. Uh, then as you, know, you get these initial studies, usually you know, the, the results are somewhat mixed. Then maybe you get some, some slightly larger studies, maybe with some actual controls in place. And again, usually different studies may use different designs or different outcomes, and you may get some conflicting data, but there'll be a suggestion of whether or not it works. But it's, it's hard to really often come up with, to, with a definitive conclusion based upon this early phase of research. And then down the road, the lessons you learn from these earlier studies studies about how to design it well, how to control it well. You fix all the problems and criticisms of the earlier studies, and you get to this large consensus definitive trial or series of trials that answer the question. And, and that's the information that's reliable. In, with, if we look at intercessory prayer, what we see is a hodgepodge of studies with, um, with mixed results but there's this general tendency that the better studies tend to be negative, and then you have some large definitive trials that are absolutely negative. Uh, there's also, you know, one thing I point out, and this has been pointed out by others, the cardiac trials, if you just look at those series of trials, there were two that showed a, a, a positive uh, effect from intercessory prayer in, prayer in some of the outcomes they looked at, but not others. And a very important thing to note is that the outcomes were different in the different studies. So in one study, it was the length of uh, the uh, decrease in the length of stay in the coronary care unit. In another study, it was the overall health assessment, but not the length of stay. And neither of them were better in complication rate or 
you know, so you look at the different variables didn't agree with each other. So basically, those studies were a wash. And it's not really meaningful to pick out just the one positive outcomes and ignore all the negative outcomes. I mean, that's that's cherry picking, you know, the data. The only way you're ever going to compile evidence that intercessory prayer works is by using crap science. I mean, that's it. That's it. But what Hodge does is then he whitewashes over all of that, the evolution of the research, the weighting of good trials over bad trials, the consistency, internal consistency of these of, the, of similar trials, over all of it, and you get this one number that means absolutely nothing. This is worthless. And it, it really now is going to be completely, is being completely misrepresented in the media and just confuses people about, you know, how clinical science works, you know? Ridiculous. It's bad. Yeah. So, Steve, he he was uh, criticized for this study, of course, right? I haven't see, read any yet. I mean, yeah, he by was us. criticized by me. by you. <laughs> he just was. <laughs> yeah, I haven't read anything yet, but, you know, I happened to see the study right when it came out, like the day it came out. So I, I probably was one of the first writers to, to comment on it. I, I jumped on it pretty quickly. I think we're probably we're going to start seeing more, we'll more criticisms yet. But you won't see it in the media. No, not in the mainstream no, media. No, you will not it. see the criticism. Uh, that's already had that cycle, and that cycle right. was totally gullible. That's it. Prayer works. Done. Next. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the next news item uh, involves a biology teacher in Oregon that was fired. I was very surprised. I was very surprised that they actually fired a teacher like on right on the first time that the person did. Now, the person was actually a uh, substitute teacher, right? Yeah, this is a, a high school biology substitute teacher, Chris Helfenstein. Uh, and she, in her teaching of biology class, she included biblical references and material provided to the students. This is extra material that was outside the official curriculum. Also, material critical of evolution. Right. And I think she was there for eight days. It's a it's guy, K- Steve. It's a guy. Chris. Oh, is it a guy? Oh, Chris is a guy. I'm sorry. K-R-I-S. It's one of those androgynous names. <laughs> So he uh it's a creationist was there for about 8 days I think and it was was fired when yeah. it came to the attention of the powers that be the uh the one of the board members Jeff Smith was quoted as saying I think his performance was not just a little bit over the line it was a severe contradiction of what we trust teachers to do in our classrooms now Chris defended himself saying that that he was just trying to teach critical quote unquote critical thinking. He said critical <laughs> thinking is vital to scientific inquiry. Oh my god. My whole purpose was to give accurate information and to get them thinking. Yeah. I love people yeah, who think right, that they yeah. can win just by completely redefining yeah. their favorite words. <laughs> right, yeah. right. Yeah, and Steve, he said his purpose was to give accurate information, yet he uses a PowerPoint or yeah, PowerPoint presentation that that, that, that makes links between evolution Nazi Germany and Planned Parenthood. Yeah. That's right. That's, that's yeah. the accurate information. The old evolution Nazi connection. <laughs> that guy did the classic stop, drop, and lie. Yeah. Oh, God. That was that was terrible. terrible. Yeah. Wouldn't me. Wouldn't me. Wouldn't me. I wonder if he was using that classic kind of um, creationist argument where they talk about Darwin being the inspiration for Hitler weeding yeah. out. Yeah, the, yeah, I heard about you know, that. Some father of one of the students said, uh, how many minds did he pollute? That's an awesome statement. Yeah, very harsh. Did he pollute, yeah. I, I, you know what? I'm shocked. I'm shocked that uh, they fired they fired this person so quickly. No slap on the wrist. Nothing. Uh, I'm, not sh- I'm not. I'm not shocked by. It. I think that you know this is pretty blatant. They're very sensitive to this these days. Yeah. I mean, no no school system wants to be criticized for you know teaching 
pseudoscience and a, a religious agenda. In and school. don't underestimate the Dover decision last year. That was that was no joke. They were nipping this in the bud, and, they, yeah. and that's the right thing for them to do. One final comment about this guy. Uh, Chris said, I never taught creationism. I know what it is, and I went out of my way not to teach it. So he's using the old... Uh, I'm not teaching creationism. I'm just teaching critical thinking about evolution. <laughs> right. Yeah, what he's yeah, saying it's let the, the old, students make up their own minds. I'm just criti- just teaching. You know, you're just being critical of evolution. The and evils of as a way of getting around, yeah. getting around the I'm not teaching religion criticism. But again, so far that that dodge has not worked, and this is another example of it not working, which is very good and. It remains to be seen where the, where the creationists are going to go next if they're not yeah. even allowed allowed this. Keep closing the doors on them. One final news item this week, uh, Perry. You sent me this. this is a, kind of a funny story about a, uh, a, a Berlin. The Berlin Zoo has a a, a baby a polar bear. A polar All right, bear now, cup. a few people have not seen the picture of this bear. Okay. You know, it's the cutest thing in the world. It's, a, it's like a living teddy bear, this thing. You would it almost is. let this guy maul you, right, Perry? <laughs> yeah, he's really... Ahead, and I'm, no, so you know, I'm, let's face it, I've always been kind of animal neutral in my life, but even I can see the obvious mega cuteness of this creature. Animal neutral? You you gladly will eat any animal that. Oh, oh let's not get started the with the vegetarianism again, path. lady. Please, I mean, you love animals with a little sauce. <laughs> uh, all right, now listen. So what Perry is saying is he won't eat it until it's full grown. Ah, oh, okay. Or fully cooked. I don't eat bear. This bear newt was, uh, you know, he. Uh, he uh, was born in the zoo, him and his brother. The mother abandoned them. The brother died. The zookeepers went in and rescued this bear. They named him Newt, and now they're raising him. And that includes bottle feeding him and, and cuddling him and so forth. Now, the animal rights activists, the spokesman in this piece is Frank Alberecht, he says, quote, the zoo must kill the bear. Feeding by hand is not species appropriate, but a gross violation of animal protection laws. So his solution for this, uh, because he thinks that feeding it by hand is not species appropriate, is to kill it. That, that, that's called the final solution. That's how he wants to address the problem. Yeah. Not let's talk about a different way to feed it. Maybe we can put the bottle somewhere else. Maybe No, let's go lethal right to injection. the lethal injection and kill the bear. He's an animal rights activist. He's well, a wait, kook. What, what is he backing that up with? Like, what's 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 his he says reasoning? They cannot domesticate a wild animal. Right. He's going to be humiliated. The bear's yeah, going to be it's humiliated. A, it's to protect uh, his dignity because he's not being treated like a predator. <laughs> why? Why even bring up the word domesticate? I mean, nobody's bringing this home <laughs> and, and putting a bear bowl. For this thing to eat, but why isn't he going to end up in that, a zoo? That's not even accurate. Well, yeah, no, domesticate is actually the wrong word anyway, because the domestication is something that happens evolutionarily over, over time. Yeah, of course, yes. and you can't domesticate an individual animal. You can tame them, but you can't domesticate. It, right. it just shows the insanity of, of these people. A, a, a spokesman for the uh, hold on for the zoo guy named Shul said. Polar bears are under threat of extinction, and if we feed the bear with a bottle, it has a good chance of growing up and perhaps becoming attractive as a stud for other zoos. Yeah, to yeah, help maintain the species. If it's going to be in the zoo, why right. do they need it to be so feral if it's in a zoo? 
Wouldn't you yeah, want it to be a little, just a tiny bit more docile so that it doesn't kill people? <laughs> yeah, right. I know that that PETA has said stated in the past that they want no one to have any pets at all, and that if it were up to them, they would free every animal that is currently living in uh, a home. Yeah, because my dog would have any chance of living on his own. Yeah. Nice extremism. PETA is right? way yeah. crazy. The only people more extreme than them are the Animal Liberation Front. And they're, of right. course, outlawed. Well, and they're all tied up together. They're anyway. outlawed. Right. They're trying to be... Much uh, the, same. the FBI hunts them down, but... Really? Yeah, the Animal really Liberation Front. Yeah, they're just like the envir- the ELF, the Environmental yeah, Liberation Front. They're on wanted lists, they, people. I mean, they burn and kill people, and, you know... Uh, it's like people who kill abortion doctors to stop what what they perceive as murder. If you want to protect animals, join the Humane Society. Okay, stay away from these from these fringe insane groups who want to kill this cute little bear. Some of the comments on the uh, on the site that reported this, the people were saying things like, "You know, those stupid animal activists should euthanize themselves." Yes, <laughs> that, that was basically the basically. Consensus. Yeah. yeah. I almost had a I almost had a hard time actually even believing some of these quotes. It just really made no sense to me. I mean, polar bears with all the news about polar bears and lately about them pretty much going extinct. Some people saying that it's a done deal. They're just like walking dead animals at this point because there's really not much we could do at this point. So you, you have this going on. Then you've got th- this beautiful this cute little polar bear, and because they don't want it to be humiliated, they're saying give it a lethal injection. I mean, does that even what? It just seems. Too well, first extreme. of all, Humiliate? the concept that this bear is going to be humiliated because it's being bottle-fed <laughs> is ludicrous. Oh, uh, yeah, it makes no sense to me. It's the same kind of people who put hats and scarves on their dogs. And things. <laughs> <laughs> Worse than that. First of all, first of all, mammalian predators... You know, they they suckle, right? Yeah. I mean, it's not like these little baby polar bears are going out killing seals. That's right. They're suckling their mothers, right? I mean, it's, it's the same thing, eating with a bottle. And they'll hey, throw steaks at it when it grows up. Uh, you know, <laughs> throw steaks <laughs> at it. <laughs> it's ridiculous. We'll have Bob, a link on our website, you, on our on our notes page. You gotta you've got to go there and look at films of this bear. You have. To. How far gone are polar bears? By the way, I mean, are they really that in that bad of shape? They're in trouble. They're they're in trouble. They're, yeah, they're in real trouble. Well, the global warmers warming is melting all the ice. You know, they're walking around stranded out aren't, there. Aren't they interbreeding with other bears? And new bear populations are arising. They're, they 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 might. I mean, the most common response to loss of habitat is to migration. go somewhere else. Is yeah, migration is habitat tracking and commingle with other species. Yeah, they'll be a, they'll, but the, the but the polar bear as it is now. You know, is certainly being threatened by the changes, whatever you think is causing them, by the changes in the in the Arctic climate. It doesn't. The, the ice doesn't have to break up that much. The big the, the big difficulty is that they polar bears hunt by staking out holes in the ice, and then when the seals come up for air, they ambush them and kill them and eat them. Right. If if there's if there's, the ice is broken apart, the seals don't have to come up in these little holes. They can just come up anywhere. So the, the polar bears have lost their hunting strategy. Can we just drop off the seal? They need seal. They need seal vending machines. <laughs> Steve, I hadn't heard that one. That, that's pretty interesting. The one that, that I heard uh, most often was the fact that they, you know, when they go for these long swims, I guess for for feeding, they uh, they generally every now and then they'll just kind of rest on a on a little chunk of ice that's floating. And since there are so few of them now that they they pretty much go swimming and then that's it. They can't find any and they drown. Yeah, so that's, that's, a, that's another, another, another problem another as well. Yeah, so this story about yeah. Newt is apparently quite big in Berlin. So if we have any listeners over there in Germany, you know, keep us informed. Let us know what the uh, ultimate outcome what of the buzz is. is. Yeah, I was at the San Diego Zoo recently. They have two polar bears there. They are gorgeous animals and huge. Aren't they the big? Aren't they bigger than grizzlies? 
They're huge. I bears. believe they're the largest bear. bear. Maybe. No, they're, they're, they're not, very. They're not the largest. They're very big, and they're, know, they're very, very beautiful, beautiful bears. They really are. Let's go on to uh, your emails. First email. We actually have two emails that are just quick corrections about our discussion. The of, polar bear is the largest uh, bear on earth. Thank you. Thanks for that clarification. Wow, that's Thank fantastic, Perry. <laughs> wow. Continue. Yeah, so we don't have to correct that next week. But I do have to correct something we said last week about uh, Pluto. So remember last week we mentioned briefly that the state of New Mexico passed a law saying that Pluto is a planet in New Mexico. Yeah. We mentioned that the uh, the Lowell Observatory was in New Mexico, and uh, Jim Fitzel writes to tell us, just a quick comment, Lowell Observatory is at Flagstaff, Arizona, not in New Mexico. Those are pretty true. much the same state. One of those big square states <laughs> out <laughs> west. Arizona, right. oh, New on. Mexico. Go to Four Corners, who can tell the difference? Mexico. <laughs> but Clyde Tombaugh, who discovered Pluto, was a uh, resident of New Mexico. The, the, we got another email. This one comes from Chris Erickson from the Department of Economics the, at the New Mexico State University, and he writes, "Gentle people, first let me say that I thoroughly enjoy your podcast. I have turned my wife onto it. Also, did he call us did gentle? Old- yes. Yeah. Did he say turn my wife onto what? it? Yes, he did. <laughs> okay. So this is the only podcast that she listens to without fail each week." Now to the topic of my email. I was acquainted with Clyde Tombaugh, the discoverer of Pluto. He was a longtime faculty at New Mexico State University. Uh, Mr. Tombaugh was much beloved and revered resident of New Mexico for many years. My favorite story involves inviting him to speak to a student honor society that I advised. Despite his very advanced age, he agreed. He arrived toting an oxygen tank. It was obvious that he could not hear despite hearing aids and that he was nearly blind. I thought that a disaster was in the making and that there was no way that he could give the promised keynote speech. But my fear was unwarranted. He, in fact, gave a wonderful half-hour speech full of anecdotes and jokes. By the end of the speech, he had the students eating out of his hand. The essence of his speech was to use his life story to inspire others to to a life of inquiry and science. The recent memorial by the New Mexico legislature was not an attempt to redefine the use of the term planet by scientists, but rather an attempt to honor a marvelous educator who used his fame to the benefit of the students of New Mexico. That's quite a persuasive letter. Right. So just a personal story about Tom, but I thought it was very interesting. And yeah, I mean, I figured that, you know, the New Mexico legislature was trying to, you know, honor their resident, you know, Tombo, who discovered Pluto, not, you know, affect scientists. I still think it's, you know, it's confusing when you... Couldn't they find another way to Yeah, just build a statue, do something else. (laughs) Uh, Build a planetarium. But uh, yeah, it just gets confusing if you try to meddle in... uh, I guess they figured it just basically would be ignored by the scientific community. Well, it wasn't ignored by us, brother. Yeah, right. Thanks, Chris, for writing that email. We appreciate the information. Uh, the next email comes from Michael Vogler from Denver, Colorado, and Michael writes, I started listening about the beginning of the year, and I have gone back to the beginning, and I am up to episode 30. I really enjoyed the combination of your medical expertise and skeptical outlook as you discussed toxins. My mother-in-law is a Southern Baptist, has a non-accredited PhD in herbal medicine. You can see where our worldviews don't match up well with me being a scientifically-minded atheist agnostic. She is very much the missionary for both theology as well as alternative medicine. Not only is she a true believer in herbal medicine, she also practices applied kinesiology and iridology for diagnosing any and all diseases. Actually, they don't, uh, they don't diagnose woman. diseases. They diagnose illness. <laughs> uh, when I confront her with my basic medical knowledge, she goes off on a rant about a conspiracy in the medical profession to suppress the truth only motivated to make money. She's absolutely right. <laughs> no, she's right. 
I know I could do little to change her mind, but I would like to protect my family's health and wallets. I have heard you address chiropractic and acupuncture. Would you be willing to do a show addressing herbal medicine as well as applied kinesiology and iridology? I have found some wonderful information at Skeptic and, and Quackwatch. I would appreciate any other sites which may help me mount counter-arguments. I have recently come out of the skeptical closet, and your show has made a difference in my ability to articulate many of my thoughts. Thank you for the wonderful show. Well, thank you, Michael. Thanks. Yeah, thanks, Michael. Um, uh, <clears throat> Michael, you're wow. That is woman hopeless. is really she's got a she's got a full <laughs> bag of cr- <laughs> she's, oh, she's a busy woman. <laughs> Non-accredited PhD in herbal medicine. Right, non-accredited PhD, which is which key is terms there. Non-accredited. <laughs> For God's sake, I don't think I can go into all three today. But on this show, uh, I did plan on talking about herbal medicine for a moment. First of all, I want to point out that our friend over at the Quackcast has has a recent episode on herbal remedies, which I highly recommend. Uh, so at the Quack, what's the Quackcast podcast. Oh, cast. We interviewed Quack-cast. him. The Quackcast. Perry, we yes. interviewed him, and he also. I've listened to all of his episodes, and uh, he he goes into excruciating t- details. And he and um, from what he, what he said on our interview, he said he actually like uh, writes out everything, and he plans the whole thing out. So he's basically reading um, like a, a paper that he wrote on the topic, and it's great. The show is very good, good. very informative. Good. Yeah, this is uh, Dr. Mark Chrislip from Quackcast. A very specific show so. like that, you would think he'd be very detailed. Yeah, it's good. So he, you listen to his show on herbal remedies. It goes into a lot of the specific herbs, but I just want to give you my quick take on it. The bottom line with herbs is that they are drugs. That's it. They're drugs. They're, they contain chemicals, often many chemicals. Like the chemicals have a pharmacological action in the body. Like tobacco. That is the very definition of a drug. Right, exactly. So there, there's nothing different about herbs from prescription pharmaceuticals or... They're all natural. Yeah. Right, the fact that they're, that they're quote-unquote <laughs> natural is completely irrelevant. It has nothing to do with anything. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> the uh, <laughs> I love that argument. They're actually, in my opinion, they're very bad, dirty drugs, and and this is why. So basically, the the process that that pharmaceuticals go through is that you know often they do may start with the observation that and some kind of you know plant or herb or something has some has been observed to have some kind of medicinal effect. And what what is typically done is that it's analyzed for its constituent parts. Well, you know. What chemicals are in here? The chemicals are isolated, identified, and studied individually. And what, some of the things that we learn about about them is the so-called pharmacokinetics, which is basically what they do in the body, or you know what, what, what how the body affects them, and the, and their pharmacodynamics, which is basically what they do to the body. So, are they cleared by the liver? Are they cleared by the kidney? How does a dose translate into a blood level? How what's the half life? How does it is it protein bound? Does it affect other other medications? Does it you know enhance or inhibit the action of other medications? And then, of course, what are its effects? What are its side effects? How much of it does it take to kill somebody? This data is collected, you know, preclinically in animals, and then uh, if if it looks safe and like it might be effective and and is useful pharmacologically, I mean, a lot of stuff first of all can't be absorbed by the by the gut or it's broken down. So, you know, you have to know: does it can this be taken orally? Does it need to be given as an injection, Anally. et cetera? 
or rectally. Some, yeah, yeah. some medications right. are given rectally. Yeah. Uh, and, then, and then it goes to human trials for, for definitive information about safety and efficacy. And when, if, if, it, if it goes on the market, you, when you buy a medication, whether over-the-counter or prescription, you're getting a very, very pure and carefully regulated known dose of a known substance with all of these factors very, very thoroughly delineated. Of course, it doesn't make it a magic, magic bullet, right? I mean, all, all drugs have risks. All, they all have side effects. But it means that at least we know what we're doing and we can make a, a reasonable decision. Uh, with herbs... They bypass all of that. Yeah, they, they don't know what's in there. From they from don't know how much of it is in there. Yeah, the, each pill will have a different amount of different active ingredients depending on what part of the plant it was taken from, how and when it was harvested, everything, what crop of plant it was taken of, the season, year to year, everything. So, in fact, there there have, there have been numerous studies which show that that putative active ingredients in common herbal remedies like St. John's wort can can vary as much as seventeen times. You may be getting 17 times the dose from one pill to the next. It's like saying my St. John's wort, two bottles of St. John's wort, each might have different, uh, might say the same thing, but they'll each have a different amount of actual active ingredients. They'll have actual different ingredients, and the ones that they do have can vary by... By many or by orders of magnitude, you know, and on top of that, the, the things that they say the drugs do, the herbs do, typically they don't even do those things. Yeah, that the, that's the the final question is: Do the drugs, do do the herbs work as drugs? The, but the thing is, like a lot of alternative, like homeopathy and whatnot, we could say these are flawed in principle; they can't possibly work. You could be very definitive about it. The thing about herbs is they are drugs. They could actually have effects in the body. They actually might do something. So you, you can't dismiss herbal medicine in its entirety as as uh, being impossible because it isn't. You really have to look at every herb individually and ask, you know, is there, what's the evidence for its safety, for its effectiveness for particular indications. And when you do that, what you find is, first of all, none of the popular herbs that are being used have been proven to be you know, safe and effective for what they're actually being sold for. M- many of them have been shown definitively not to work at all for what they're used for. Like my favorite example is echinacea for colds. It doesn't work at all. Uh, then St. John's wort, which I mentioned, it's a little bit different. You know, there's some actual active ingredients there that might that plausibly might have some antidepressant effect, but they exist in a very low and variable dose. It it uh, it's been shown not to work in major depression. Yeah, but, you know, I, you have I, I even ha- had my St. John's wort frozen off. But Steve, you know, th- this speech of yours, which is wonderful and 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 nice and good. Is not going to move a, a woman like this guy's mother one iota. You are, after all, an accredited medical doctor. You are the, the poster take. child of the conspiracy. Yeah. It's all for the money. Well, why? Perry. Why are they going to believe you? I go to all the meetings. Well, <laughs> I get my weekly check. <laughs> but you get my point. They're just going to say you're in the pocket. You're in the. You know. Yeah. They're, no, they're, but we're not probably, talking to her. We're talking to the, to her well, son-in-law, per- trying to help him arm him with some information on how to, I, how to yeah. battle her. Perhaps her Southern Baptist sensibilities will kick in and over and trump everything else. This is the mother-in-law, Harry. We're all well aware of what you're saying. You're totally right. But you know, the people that listen to our show aren't aren't these people. It's it's. People that want to get this information so they can go and, and use it I, in their lives. I know, but the guys... Right, they want to help their family. The guy's yeah. trying to move her. I don't know. Is it the mother or the mother-in-law? It's a good question. Mother-in-law. 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 It's, it's the mother-in-law. In that case, you know, 
abandon it. Just let it go. Don't touch it. Don't yeah, go anywhere near it. The next time you go over for dinner, you keep your mouth shut. But his point is, his point is that the mother-in-law is preaching to the the extended family. Yeah, right. He yeah, wants yeah. to protect his. You're wife. a hypocrite, by the way, Rebecca. <laughs> hey, man. I don't mess with mother-in-law. Just get the all. just get the add-on <laughs> bubble like the back of the Jetsons car and put the mother-in-law yeah. back there. In the um, mother-in-law bubble, yeah. but he, so he he needs information to defend his family from this. Protecting quack the rest of the is. family is good. Yeah, uh, yes. so that's legitimate. That's legitimate. Don't do it around the mother-in-law though, because and and actually now I'm being serious. Um, uh, the best way to combat it is not to attack the mother-in-law uh, in front of the rest of the family. Yeah. I would get, don't attack get her personally at all. Don't make it personal. Make it very detached. Very I wouldn't clinical. even I wouldn't even get into a discussion with the mother-in-law because it'll it'll probably only make her more defensive. I would just, you know, let the rest of the family He's know. He's got to educate the kids and the other people that come in contact with her and let them come yeah, to their own conclusions. I didn't say that he couldn't. Yeah. Steve, even though you've given it several times in the past, why don't, you know, give them the quick what is the answer to the conspiracy? What do you say when they pull out the conspiracy? The answer is Steve drives a shitty car, okay? If he was on the take, if he was making side money, Steve would be rolling with class. But he's not. So there it is, all right? No, instead he's in a POS. Yeah, yeah you know, <laughs> I'll have a link to an article I wrote about it that goes into the discussion in depth. I mean, I, I focus a lot on the, the, the cancer cure conspiracy, which is abject nonsense that doctors are hiding a cure for cancer. But it's the same kind of arguments would apply to any sort of you know, medical industrial complex conspiracy nonsense. Uh, it's it's not a monolithic entity. Is the is I guess the bottom line is that you know the medical care is uh, multiple institutions. You know, multiple different kinds of people with different jobs and different interests and et cetera. And academics who actually actually control the standard of care aren't on the take. They don't make money for practicing medicine. They're 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 generally poor and salaried like me. So. There really is when you. It's only the conspiracy theories are based upon really a, a naive sort of view of what the medical establishment is, how it's even constructed. We have an interview this week uh, with Robert Lancaster, so let's go on to our interview. Okay, joining me now is Robert Lancaster who runs the StopSylviaBrown.com website. Robert, thanks for joining us on The Skeptic's Guide. Thanks for having me. So why don't you start by telling us how you got interested in, uh, in doing all of this. Well, my, my previous skeptical site, StopCaz.com, was sort of winding down. The subject of it uh, was uh, stopping. And uh, there were people on the uh, JREF forum who were uh, egging me on to find another focus for another skeptical web and that's the james uh, randy education foundation just for our listeners right sylvia brown was, was always near the top of that list but the more i looked into uh her behavior um the, the higher on the list she became until she was definitely the focus of my next site and that's what the stop sylvia brown site resulted from and robert maybe just uh for our listeners they might be interested in hearing a brief uh bio on your previous uh, stop CAS site. Um, can you tell us just a little bit about CAS and what went on there? Well, CAS DeMille Jacobson is the woman, and, and she's a woman who spoke at my mother's church a few years back, and she had um, a very 
uh, hard to believe story of uh, wealth and fame and and culminating in her having been in the North Tower of the World Trade Center on 9-11-2001 when the attack happened and that she escapes heroically after being trapped in, a, in an elevator, in a burning elevator shaft. And uh, the story went on and on. And my mother told me this story, and I found it extremely hard to believe and started doing research on the woman because she was going to be speaking at my mother's church again soon. And um, found out that uh, none of her claims uh, had any sort of uh, a basis on the web. And uh, the website became uh, what was the result of, of that research. And, and what, what ultimately was the outcome? Was she discredited and just faded into the, into the woodwork? A- after seeing how much was up against her, uh, I hate to say this, but it appeared that she uh, faked a suicide attempt. There was a... Uh, a television show in Australia, which is where uh, she was at the time, who was doing a, a report on her. And uh, the night before it was to be broadcast, uh, she checked into the emergency ward, supposedly having attempted suicide, and they pulled the, that episode, uh, and it was never shown. But from that time on, I have heard no more reports of her speaking in front of churches with her uh, 9-11 nonsense. I think yeah. it's fair to say that that website was a huge success. So we were all pretty excited to see you take on Sylvia Brown. Well, thank you. So how has that been going for you? Well, it's, it's been an interesting ride so far. Uh, I've got uh, several articles, uh, more than a dozen articles up on the site, and, and talk about some of her uh, spectacular failures on the Montel Williams show and elsewhere. And uh, I've been getting a, a lot of a lot of traffic and a lot of response, and uh most recently, I've been getting a uh, response from within uh, Sylvia's camp, actually. Really? What, wow. what have you been seeing from them? Well, uh, first off, uh, back in February, late January, early February, I'm mixing up the timelines, but at some point, <laughs> uh, her, uh, her attorney, one of her attorneys um, notified me that I needed to uh, take the site down because the name, Stop Sylvia Brown, used the words Sylvia Brown, which uh, she had trademarked. And uh, they were trying to uh, bully me into taking the site down, saying I was infringing on on her trademark. And that was nonsense. And I got a lawyer who uh, wrote up a letter saying it was nonsense. And I put both uh, her attorney's letter and my attorney's letter up on the site. And uh, they, I have yet to hear any more from that attorney since uh, she received my attorney's letter. Yeah, it's an interesting read, actually, those letters. Again, just for the, those two or three listeners who may not know who Sylvia Brown is, she is a, a self-proclaimed psychic who has made a career out of you know speaking with the the allegedly speaking with the dead of of people and telling people what's happened to their loved ones. She's a f- uh, frequent guest on the Montel Williams show. Uh, she has been a foil to um, uh, James Randi and other skeptics. You know, James Randi has her Sylvia his Sylvia Brown clock on his website because. Uh, marking the the time over which she has uh, refused to take his challenge, as she said that she would uh, on television. So and we've talked about her a lot on our program before because she is the the psychic de jour, if you will, and she's she's pretty sleazy. And I think that the the uh, this so called slap uh, suit that she threatened you with is a pretty good indication of that. I mean, you know, she trademarks her name and then tries to use that as a basis to say that you know, I guess nobody could can refer to her now unless she approves it. 
because if you're referring to her as infringing upon her copyright. I, I recently uh, started to discover that I, I'm not the first that she's done this with, and in fact she has shut down a number of her fan sites over the years um, because uh, she doesn't want people uh, teaching uh, her philosophy. It, it appears from what I'm hearing, and I'm writing an article about it, uh, that uh, similar to what Scientology does, she doesn't want anyone else uh, showing any of her uh, scriptures. She wants you to buy them from her, basically. Mm-hmm. And oh, it's money-based, of course. It's, I can't see any other uh, name for it, but she uh, she has shut down a number of, of uh, fan sites and forums that uh, that discuss her because they end up talking about uh, her uh, Novus Spiritus Church and uh, her supposed philosophy, and uh, she doesn't want that. And uh, she shut a number of them down, and in fact, I, I was told today that she shut another couple down today. I haven't verified that. But no. uh, recently, uh, um, a fan site has opened up that she is supporting, and that's GoSylviaBrown.com. <laughs> it's a direct response to mine. and In fact, in part, it looks like a satire of mine, but there's some question as to uh, if uh, the person who's running that is actually a fan or is somebody with uh, direct connections to Sylvia Brown. And that's something I'm working on another article about. Have you considered having your lawyer contact Go Sylvia Brown for con- copyright uh, infringement? Uh, you know that that was one of one of the things I considered, but I I, I try not to uh, put frivolous lawsuits out there. Oh right, that's right. You're on the good side. I forgot. I try. <laughs> Robert, why is it that she can't affect your site? Is it is the um, legally she can't shut you down? Right. Correct. It's it's a it's a matter of freedom of speech. Uh, I, I have anyone has the right to put together a site critical of a, a public figure or a, or a product or a company, and use that uh, person or product or company's name in the name of their website. It's it's freedom of speech, and her trying to shut my my site down is uh, what they call a slap. It's a strategic lawsuit against uh, uh, public participation. It's trying to shut someone up is basically what it means. And there are laws that uh, prevent that. And luckily, California, the, the state in which both uh, Sylvia Brown and I live, has some uh, pretty strict anti-slap laws in place uh, to uh, prevent people from, from filing or from successfully filing this very type of lawsuit that she tried with me. So she just sent, had her lawyer send you a letter to try to muscle you a little bit. Exactly. I, I'm, I would imagine if the lawyer is worth anything, uh, she knew that it was uh, um, just a bluff. But, you know, it was yeah. a cheap bluff, and it might have worked, but it didn't. Well, if you need any thug power, give me a call, man. I'll come right over. Appreciate it. I don't know. Have you ever seen Robert? He's a pretty intimidating-looking guy. Very mild-mannered on the podcast, but, you know, in person. <laughs> now, Robert, uh, Sylvia has had some pretty astounding failures on the Montel Williams shows and other and other shows, and we've we've mentioned some of them on our show before. But uh, in your experience, what what what's what's been her one or two most spectacular failures? Well, the one that was uh, probably the most dramatic and has gotten the most press was uh, her having told the parents of Sean Hornbeck, the the boy who. Yeah. was missing for four years and uh, recently turned up alive, she uh, told his parents on the Montel Williams show a few years back that he was dead. And my side was the one to, uh, to break the news that she, was, uh, she had a connection to the story. And, in fact, it went up on my side the day that uh, Sean Hornbeck uh, turned up alive. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, that, that caused uh, a lot of uh, press attention, including uh, the, the New York Daily News and the Howard Stern Show and, and eventually the uh, Anderson Cooper 360 shows that uh, got her uh, a lot of uh, un- un- undesirable attention. And can I just say to anybody in the audience who hasn't seen that, go to YouTube and try to find that Anderson Cooper clip. I know it's it's surfing around, and it is so much fun. That one, and uh, he also did a follow-up uh, after he had Robert on um, with Sylvia's, what, was it her press agent that was on, Robert? Do you know? I believe it's her business manager. Okay, yeah, and he just, uh, he tore her a new one. It was really great to see. Yeah, it's so awesome to see skeptics getting more prominent in traditional media like that. Robert, how active is she? Does she have her hands into a lot of different things? Well, she uh, she has uh, her church. She has uh, self-hypnosis classes. She is on the Montel Williams show every Wednesday, uh, twice a day, I believe. They have a, a new one and a repeat usually, or sometimes two repeats. She's occasionally on uh, Larry King. Um, she she has her church, Novus Spiritus, that uh, uh, seems to be uh, avoiding paying taxes, if you ask me. But uh, I don't know <laughs> that for certain. Oh, man, um, she she makes a lot of money. She's she's got somewhere in the neighborhood of forty books that she has written. A lot of them bestsellers. Uh, she charges seven hundred and fifty dollars for a twenty to thirty minute phone reading, and uh, she claims to do 20 readings a day, six days wow. a week. So you add that up, and, and that's that's a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah, she's got those, those cruises and conferences, too. I heard she's going to be at a big conference in Vegas coming up. Are you, uh, have you thought about attending something like that? Sure. She has, uh, she has her lectures that she, uh, the Hay House lecture. Hay House is one of her publishers, and uh, she has the lectures that she gives around the country in like 20 or 30 different cities. Uh, I haven't heard of the Vegas one. Is that the, just one for lectures or, or something bigger? No, it's a it's a big conference of uh, pseudoscientific crap. Uh, I think she's going to be there with a couple of others. Um, At the I'll, CrapCon 2007. <laughs> <laughs> well, they don't have to send out emails because all the psychics know what it is. Right. I, I had considered uh, uh, appearing at uh, something like this. But uh, now, after the Anderson Cooper shows and my face is known to her and her people, uh, I'm not quite sure what kind of a reception I'd get. Yeah, that's true. Randy used to dress up in disguise whenever he went to see the faith healers. Maybe you could try something like that. A red beard. Uh, (laughs) A little bit uh, more difficult to uh, disguise than Randy, but uh, it's something to think now, you said you were pretty quick with the Hornbeck information. Do you keep track of some of her big predictions, just waiting to see how they unfold? Uh, a few of them, but why I was so quick on that particular one, however, was was thanks to uh, um, some emailers. Uh, I had uh, just gotten home from a day's work and uh, checked my email before uh, hitting the sack, and, and there was uh, an email saying uh, that uh, she had indeed been involved in the Sean Hornbeck. And I had just gotten home. I hadn't even heard of Sean Hornbeck. Yeah. And turned on the news and, and went to CNN.com and then started the searching and put together an article on it pretty quick and got it up on the site and within a couple of hours and thought the, that would pretty much be the end of it, but uh, it really took off from there. Yeah, that's one of the great things about having a net presence is that you can have a thousand eyes and ears out there, yeah. you know, and, and you become a clearinghouse for information, you know. Yeah, and you publish uh, the news immediately. 
I, right, right. That was one of the, the, the main hopes I had with the site. That's the way that the uh, the Stop Cats site ended up working. People who knew of her and, and knew of some of her shenanigans would would email me, and I was hoping the same would be true of the uh, Sylvia Brown site, and it has been. Uh, I've, I've, almost every Wednesday, I get emails from people saying, did, did you see what she said today on, on my cell phone? <laughs> God, I didn't know she was on that show every freaking week. I mean, God, every Wednesday. Yeah, I I just found information on that Las Vegas conference. So if you're interested, Robert, it's uh, May fifth to May seventh in Vegas. It's called "I Can Do It" 2006, and it has Sylvia and Doreen Virtue, PhD, spiritual clairvoyant, Carolyn Meese, spiritual teacher. And um, a whole laundry list of weirdos and whack jobs. So I can poop on my shelf. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like hey. loads of fun. Hey, Robert, I also read on your site you actually got, uh, you interviewed her former husband. One of her former husbands, yes. How many does she have? Oh, I believe it's four. Oh, wow. my God. Are you working your way through them all? Or are you going to try to get her other three next the other three, one of them uh, is uh, just so long ago, I, I don't think he, he'd be of, of much use. But uh, the others, one is uh, Val Brown, where she got her name, Brown. And he's mm. the one that uh, they went up under uh, fraud charges together for that uh, mining incident. Uh, they were selling shares in a, in a mine that didn't pay off and uh, got uh. in trouble for it. But she was charged with fraud, but ended up pleading guilty to charges of selling securities without a license. Ah, she pled uh-huh. to a lesser charge. Yes. Um, but you you did interview uh, one of her former husbands, and he gave you some information, or he gave you, you just gave, kind of, get what did he do? He, he kind of colored the kind of person that she is? He gave you just a little background information? Correct. That was uh, Gary Dufresne. That uh, was the man that she was married to just before she was married to Dal Brown. And uh, I spent a couple hours with him and his uh, current wife, Ree Dufresne, uh, back in uh, February and uh, compiled some clips from uh, the interview I taped with them and uh, put together an article uh, which recently went up on the site and uh, caused the fur to fly in Camp Sylvia. Was there anything particular on the interview that uh, got them upset? Well, he says in the interview that uh, he does not believe that she's a psychic at all and talks about uh, her so-called psychic son that that, uh, is also his son, uh, Christopher Dufresne, who uh, only charges $450 for a 20- to 30-minute phone reading. Evidently, he's only 60% as accurate. uh, (laughs) He said that uh, he had spoken with uh, Christopher at one time uh, within the past few years about his so-called psychic career, and Christopher said that he was uh, not happy with it and he didn't like uh, doing this, but that his mother had told him, uh, basically, uh, what do you care? You're never going to talk to these people again. Just... uh, Tell them what they want to hear and uh, get their money and go. Wow. He also spoke of an incident back when, um, uh, Gary Dufresne spoke of an incident back when they were still married, he and Sylvia Brown. Uh, she, at that time, she uh, was giving tarot card readings at parties that they would have. And he said that uh, one time after one of these parties, they were uh, washing dishes, and, and he asked her, well, why do you do that? Some of these people are actually going to believe you, and, and you know it's just nonsense. Why do you do that? And he said that uh, she told him, basically, um, if uh, if they're stupid enough to believe it, they deserve to be uh, taken. 
That's not an exact quote. You can look on my site for the exact yeah, quote. Yeah, the, the site says, screw them. Anybody who believes this stuff ought to be taken. There you go. And that I pretty much sums it all up right there, man. Yeah. That confirms uh, something I've said on, on our show a couple of times where I said that woman goes to bed at night and puts her head on the pillow, and she knows she's full of it. She knows she's taking people. She's not a true believer, you know? That's the impression I get. Uh, I'm, I'm with you there. Uh, I don't know how she sleeps. Yeah. Now, now, Robert. I mean, what you're doing is great. I mean, it's great to to get this information out to the to the public and everything. But, but realistically, you know, someone like Sylvia Brown, she knows what she's doing. You know, to to all appearances, the history with people like this is that it's it's really hard to to make a dent into what they're doing. I mean, you know, um, Randy calls them unsinkable rubber duckies. No matter what you do to them, no matter what how you embarrass them, whatever, they always seem to come back. Because the people that they're catering to, catering to are gullible. They're, they're not very uh, good critical thinkers. So, you know, realistically, what, what kind of practical hopes do you have for your efforts in terms of affecting Sylvia Brown's career? Well, I can't give you a, a dollar of figure, but I, I know that I've had an impact on her income. I, I hear several times a week from people who tell me that they were looking for her website so they could order up one of her $750 readings. And luckily, uh, my site is pretty high up in the Google rankings, and they saw my site and read it and decided to save their $750. Um, well, there, there is an impact of some sort on her. Uh, I know that um, from what I'm hearing, and I have uh, no uh, proof of this, but from what I'm hearing, all the recent attention she got via Anderson Cooper and the New York Daily News, which was all uh, from my site's article about Sean Hornbeck, uh, has had an impact on her, and, and people are constantly asking her about it. And she has, to uh, my knowledge, has stayed out of the public eye since then, other than uh, a few of her normal appearances. And uh, it, it's having an impact on her. Whether it will actually stop her, uh, who knows? I mean, after all... Uh, Back in the 80s, uh, James Randi stopped Peter Popoff by exposing yeah. him as a total fraud, but he's back. He's back, yeah. yeah. So, so who knows what the, uh, the ultimate effect is going to be, but all I can do is, is keep doing what I'm doing and, and hope for the best. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we, we're with you. I mean, it's, it's, sometimes it feels like all you could do is maybe mitigate the problem, do some damage control. It just does, I don't know of any cases of... Uh, like a real permanent victory over frauds like this. They always seem to have, like they're like the Terminator. They just keep coming back and coming back no matter how many times you kill them off. Well, people have that need to believe. Yeah. And, and yeah. They, will, they will put their heads in the sand and ignore any evidence that, that conflicts with that belief to, to some degree. But I, I get emails, other emails from people telling me, I used to believe in Sylvia Brown totally. I was a fan. I've bought all of her books. I've been to her lectures. I read your site. I was horrified. I no longer believe in her. I'm throwing all my books away. I get right. those emails. So, well, so yeah. there is and that keeps impact. you going, huh? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Because there's certainly no money in doing what we do. <laughs> no. <laughs> all the money is on Sylvia's end of the spectrum. I, I received an email yesterday that, that deeply affected me from a, a woman who... Uh, has recently been diagnosed with, um, she didn't say if it was terminal, but a very serious illness, and she's having trouble coming to terms with it. And even though she says she's um, got a Ph.D. and is an intelligent, educated woman, she was considering 
getting a hold of Sylvia Brown to see if Sylvia Brown could give her some answers that the doctors couldn't give her. And even educated people fall for this crap. And yep. she was one of those people who was looking up Sylvia's site, found mine, read it, and sent me this email thanking me for not only saving, she said, not only for saving me a few hundred dollars, but for saving my dignity. Mm-hmm. And That's I great. Was, I was really touched by that. Yeah, I think that's, again, one of the things I noticed you know, doing what we're doing, uh, even before the podcast, is that because of the Internet, you can have a huge impact on individuals. Because people who are seeking information, at the, at the time they are seeking specific information, you could be, you know, they could, you can come up on the search and you could provide them that critical bit of information they need to basically just wake up to reality a little bit, to, like, to keep them from completely going down the rabbit hole. Hey Robert, I have a, uh, another question for you. Um, sure. When did you uh, when did you become a skeptic and get involved? Like, how did your what's your story behind the whole thing? Well, I've I've been a, a skeptic to to one degree my my entire life, but but when I became active in the skeptical community was back during uh, around uh, the time of nine eleven. Actually, was about the time that I uh, coincidentally uh, joined uh, the the JREF forum and started uh, getting together um, online with other skeptics and, and talking about um, what we thought of, of various topics. So it's, it's only been, what, six years now that I've been active within the community, and it's only been the past, like, four years uh, since I started the, uh, the Stop Cast site that I've been uh, proactive with my skepticism. Well, Robert, thanks so much for coming on the Skeptics Guide. We enjoyed talking with you. Thanks for having me on. And good luck on your site. Thanks. It's time for Science or Fiction. Each week, I come up with three science news items or facts. Two are genuine and one is fictitious. And then I challenge my challenged panel of skeptics to tell me which one is the fake. Hey. Now, this, uh, your announcement there of this week's science or fiction, Steve, reminds me of something. Really? Uh, I was checking out the SDUfans.net page uh, by uh, Mike there. Puts that together. Does a lot of work. I had just discovered uh, recently that if you click on uh, the, the podcast list, if you click on each episode, it opens up a fact page. Very funny. It has all quotes in there and facts about the show. I didn't even realize that was there at first. And I can certainly see that that's a, he puts a lot of work into that. We talked about it last week. <laughs> I just discovered that. Now, shut up. Very little slow. <laughs> In his post today, uh, he specifically goes out of his way to root for Jay over me in the <laughs> science or fiction rankings. All right? He says, go, Jay. You're almost overtaking Perry. I am, therefore, withdrawing all support from Mike. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, will sure no longer have him. anything positive to say about him. Okay. Poor Mike. Thank you. Okay, so on? Perry, what you're, what this boils down to is you're jealous because one out of the, what, 15,000 listeners we have right now, one of them likes me and, and he and I are buddies. You know, who do you got? You had Luna. You had the first fan. <laughs> you had the very first fan. All right, all right. Anyway, let's go, let's go on. Are you ready? Just, Stop delaying the inevitable. <laughs> <laughs> Here it comes. Number one. MIT nuclear power expert warns that the U.S. is running low on uranium to fuel its nuclear power plants. 
Item number two, scientists have identified a specific brain structure that, when damaged, removes any emotional inhibition of killing others. And item number three, a new study shows that following breast augmentation surgery, women report lower self-esteem and sexual satisfaction. Perry, you go first. Well, the second one sounds perfectly reasonable. I mean, you, you know, you change your brain and all kinds of crazy things happen to your behavior. Uh, the first one was we're running out of uranium. Yep. Yeah, okay. I mean, it's pretty rare and hard to make. And the last one about women, yeah, I mean, I think women who are growing their breasts artificially have low self-esteem to start with. Uh, uh, I, I think that one's true. Did I just say they were all true? Yeah, you did. Yes, you did. <laughs> okay, so then the least likely true one would be uh, the, f- well, the killing one. That's very specific. I- I'm going to have to go with uranium. Okay. Uh, Rebecca? Mm-hmm. Okay, you know what? I'm going to go with the the boob one, actually. Okay. I, I I'm feeling... I was going to say something bad there. I'm going to go with the boob one. <laughs> the lower self-esteem following breast augmentation. Yeah, I don't. I'm thinking that 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 seems really natural, so to speak. But I I uh, I think that's false. yeah. That Anna Nicole was swimming with self-esteem. <laughs> <laughs> Jay, <laughs> do you have an aneurysm? I'm, I'm still debating yeah, over right. here. I remember. I I think I remember touching or reading these breast implant situation over here. Um, I'm not sure which of the two. Uh, How are yours working out, USA Jay? running low on your... Uh, pretty good. <laughs> I got baloney tits. Oh, um, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> the USA running low on uranium. Uh, I'm not going with the breast thing. I'm going to go with uh, the USA running low on uranium. I don't think that's Okay, true. Bob. Where the hell do we even get our uranium? <laughs> I don't... Uranium R us. <laughs> he said he said we, he we said the reserves. Mine for it, Bob. I don't think we have much of a in way of reserves. I could be totally wrong. It, it's just totally striking me as 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 out of whack. Even though the other ones don't sound very likely either. But I'm going to go with uh, uranium. Okay, well. Evan. Uh, I'll say that it is the uranium one as well. Because the professor, the study was done at uh, at MIT, uh, U- UCAL, not MIT. So therefore, that one's wrong. All right. So the uh, guys, assuming the doctor <laughs> is telling the truth, the guys are all going with the low uranium as being you think thirty eight baby, <laughs> and Rebecca is going with the breast augmentation causing low self esteem being fake, and you all agree. That scientists have identified a specific brain structure that, when damaged, removes any emotional inhibition of killing others. You all believe that that is true, and Uh, that is, in fact, science. Hey! Hi, (laughs) dude. Wow. Very interesting study, actually. What they looked at is there is a specific kind of moral dilemma where uh, you you present people with a situation uh, where they they have to do something bad in order. to prevent something even worse from happening. So, for example, if the, one of the examples given in this particular study, if you had a friend who had AIDS and told you, I'm going to go out having unprotective sex, sex with a bunch of people, and you, therefore you knew that they were going to infect a lot of people, some of, some of whom were going to die. And just, this is purely hypothetical. In the hypothetical world of this study, you're, you're offered the choice of, of killing them or letting them basically go on their unprotected sex spree. What would you do? 
You can't just report them. You got to kill well, that, them. Again, this is an artificial hypothetical in <laughs> okay. order to force this moral dilemma. There's right. other ways. You, there's, there's a lot of questions that basically give you the same choice where you can kill somebody directly in order to prevent them from killing a lot of other people down the road. So if you did a, any kind of cold calculation about the situation, it would make sense to, to kill the one person to save the many people. Uh, but people have a hard time doing that. There's, there's an emotional inhibition against directly harming or killing somebody. So they say, even though they might know that it's mathematically, ethically, the, the quote-unquote right thing to do, they can't bring themselves to say that they would kill somebody directly. Which of my friends is this? It doesn't matter who, which friend it is. <laughs> As a matter of fact, it does. Yeah. Yes. For the purpose <laughs> of the study, of you know, it was a hypothetical friend. <laughs> oh, I see. However, they looked at 12 people who had no brain damage, 12 people who had damage to the ventral medial prefrontal cortex, and 12 people who had damage to some other part of the brain. Now, the people who had damage to this particular prefrontal cortex area uh, had absolutely no compunction about killing people. They just did not have that emotional connection or inhibition about directly causing harm to somebody else. So they made the cold, calculated decision without any real dilemma. Everyone else had a lot of emotional conflict over making that choice and, and or could just could not bring themselves to do it. So they've basically you know, localized uh, this the part of the brain that that gives us the inhibition, the emotional connection to, to directly harming other people, and uh, which that, is Steve, interesting. Yeah. Question: uh, Is that just in regards to when they're making a decision based on who, what's going to save more lives, or are they basically sociopaths now who who don't really see any moral problem with killing? Yeah, they basically, randomly? you know, they it disconnects their, them emotionally from the act of of harming other people. So, yeah, they're, they're kind of sociopaths. Um, you could go to court and say my prefrontal so gizmo it is. is... And it's interesting that, it's so, that that part of the brain is so specific, you know? Yeah, that's what strikes me is that it's so localized. Yeah, yeah. But you would think, I mean, there would be probably pretty strong evolutionary pressures for us to be hardwired, like not to kill, other, kill people that not we live with. to butcher with. each other, yeah. Um, so it's, it's, it's definitely uh, neurologically very interesting. Yeah, it is. Now, uh, the guys all went with the uranium being low. And uh, as it turns out, that one is, in fact, science. That one is, that one is science, oh, guys. So there's a, a Cambridge... So, I feel uh, like Bobby Riggs. It's so embarrassing losing to a woman. And uh, who published a paper basically <laughs> saying that um, we're running out of uranium. Now, and the, the nuclear power industry has been very short-sighted over the last 20, 30 years. Basically, you know, about 20 years ago, uh, it was decided that we weren't going to be building more nuclear power plants. And the U.S., from that point forward, has basically been coasting on their nuclear uh, power supply, on their uranium supply. Most of it, somebody asked where we get it from. We actually get a lot from Australia and Canada and from, and from the Ukraine. Other countries who have been beefing up their nuclear energy uh, infrastructure have been buying up the uranium, and we haven't been. And, and the problem that we can run into is that we could be sort of the last people to buy the uranium that's out there, which means we're going to pay a lot more for it than, than what you could get it for if you, if you buy it earlier on. We also don't have the infrastructure of, of refinement 
plants to to refine and enrich the uranium so that it's usable by nuclear reactors. And you know there really isn't that much uranium in the world. So they're actually actually saying that we have to maybe use more sophisticated refinement techniques so that we could make bit maximal use of the uranium that we it, that there is. We have to build more you know uh, enrichment plants so that we can actually start to meet our our demand. Right now, the amount of uranium that the United States is purchasing is only about 60% of what we're actually using, and we're actually depleting our reserves. Also, a lot of the uranium we're buying is coming from decommissioned Soviet nuclear weapons, and that's going to run out in a few years, So, because that's obviously of a finite and limited supply. And, and the reason why, this, why he thinks that this is important to bring up at this time is because of the whole you know, global warming thing. There is renewed interest in nuclear energy. And in fact, we plan on building you know, more nuclear power plants, and yet our uranium supply is, if anything, dwindling. So there's a huge disconnect there between increased demand and, and decreasing future supply. So something we have to pay attention to now before it becomes, before it becomes too late. Which, of course, means that Rebecca stands alone (laughs) uh, in being correct this week. New study shows that following breast augmentation surgery, women report lower self-esteem and sexual satisfaction is fiction. Now, Rebecca may have had an advantage here being a woman, but... I feel like Bobby Riggs. I I have to say that this is one of the first ones in quite a while that I've had to just totally guess. Yeah. (laughs) This is pure psychology that won this for me. I just, uh, I figured that sounded like the most believable one, so I went with that one. (laughs) You've got me again. Actually, the study shows that women experience increased self-esteem and increased uh, sexual pleasure and desire following uh, breast augmentation surgery, the exact opposite. Uh, this was done by a... Because um, there's more guys banging them. Well, <laughs> Yes, Perry, because there's more guys banging them. That's why. <laughs> what did they do it for, Rebecca? Don't get snide with me. What they have breast implantations for? God forbid if a woman should ever improve something for herself. Uh, Actually, you know, a lot of them do it because they because they have low self-esteem or because they think that it will enhance their self-esteem and... and and in fact, it works. But it's also true that I think, you know, when women think they are attractive, that makes them more sexual. So that's sort of a component of, of female sexuality. So, that, so just the fact that they felt that they looked more attractive made them more interested in sex and made them in, enjoy it more. I, I have to say that this, this does go in the face, though, of some previous studies that have shown that... I mean, there are previous studies which show that you know, women who seek... You know this kind of cosmetic, you know, plastic surgery. You know, have esteem problems to begin with. This one was specifically looking at the baseline before the surgery, and then three months later, you know, seeing what was the change in their self-esteem. Does the Skeptics Guide ofi- officially support breast augmentation now? Or? <laughs> it's a. Uh, I think we're, we're. You know it, brother. We're agnostic with regards to breast augmentation. <laughs> Neutral. Uh, yeah, and you know what? You'll all probably be agnostic for the rest of your lives concerning breast augmentation. Devin, can you tell us last week's puzzle? Yes, I will. All right. If you take the 9th, the 22nd, the 8th, the 20th, and the 18th and put them inside a vulva, We've worked in breasts have? and vulvas in the last 60 seconds of the podcast. <laughs> a new high. And there were some... Oh, some interesting posts. It was a yeah, lot was of fun this week. reading everyone's uh, commentary. Did so, get thank it? you all for contributing. However, <clears throat> yes, yes, Mr. Smool 
L S M U E. Can we get some pronounceable names on the forums, please? However you bring, it would be nice. How about like Frank or something? But Smool, Smool, and 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 Smool got it. That the a Jesus fish. Jesus fish. Oh, what? I still don't get it. We're all familiar with Jesus fish, you know the the ones you see on the bumpers of cars on. T-shirts and so forth and so forth. It's a Christian symbol. Goes good with um, loaves. And uh, it, it it actually actually the Christians adopted it from uh, from uh, pagan symbolism. Just like Christmas. And the fish itself was the pa- is the pagan symbol for the vulva. And the numbers nine twenty two eight twenty and eighteen represent the Greek letters that spell out the word ichthys, hmm. which of course means fish. Well, or in Greek, actually means Jesus Christ, Son of God and Savior. So the letters Iota, Volva, Chi, Theta, Upsilon, Sigma, those are the five Greek letters inside the fish symbol. And now you know what Jesus has in common with the Volva. You're Jesus fish. So now, every time you're driving down the road, everyone, you see those, you can kind of giggle to yourself. Ah, oh, there goes a Volvo. A Volvo and a Volvo. I like it. Very good, Evan. That was a, that was a good puzzle. So, Evan, tell us this week's uh, puzzle. Here is this week's puzzle. Between us, if I raise my goblet to you and open my heart, on the grounds of conjecture, what pseudoscientific act am I performing? Good luck, everyone. This one's a <laughs> not a stretch. I'm scratching already. <laughs> Well, thanks, Evan. Bob, you have a quote for us this week? Yeah, I got a quote um, from Des on the boards. Thanks, Des, for this funny quote. Uh, This is from Simon Cameron, U.S. Senator, 1901. He said, I am tired of all this sort of thing called science here. We have spent millions in that sort of thing for the last few years, and it's time it should be stopped. (laughs) This whole science thing? That's a good one. (laughs) <laughs> what do you need time quote. to the other side? I'd like to before we before we uh, check out tonight. I would like to uh, again ask everyone, please um, visit our site and and vote for us on Dig. If you have a moment, just pop over and, and give us some support. We really appreciate it. And uh, I'd also like to to thank the continued influx of people joining the boards. We're getting more and more people every week. I'm yeah, surprised very lively. how many people are joining us. And we have gotten some great reviews on iTunes lately. We really appreciate yep. that. We appreciate all the good reviews. Spread the word. Listen, this week the challenge is we want every listener out there to, to get one other person to regularly list, download and listen to the Skeptic's Guide. Yeah, think of it like a skeptical pyramid scam. Right. So our skeptical yeah. pyramid scheme. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Thanks, everyone, for joining me. Night, Thank everybody. you, Steve. Thank you, Doctor. We'll see you next week. Until next week, this is your Skeptic's Guide to the Universe. The Skeptic's Guide to the Universe is produced by the New England Skeptical Society in association with the James Randi Educational Foundation. For more information on this and other episodes, please visit our website at www.theskepticsguide.org. Please send us your questions, suggestions, and other feedback. You can use the Contact Us page on our website, or you can send us an email to info at theskepticsguide.org. Theorem is produced by Kinetto and is used with permission. Endless delays.